Good morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Ed, Ed Sherman. I am an elder here at LEFC, and I teach at LBC, uh, Lancaster Bible College. Um, my doctorate degree, the uh, reason people call me Dr. Ed, you please don't, you, here, here in this context, I'm Ed. On campus, I'm Dr. Ed. And um, my doctorate is in missiology, the study of missions. Uh, for 23 years, my wife Carolyn and our four daughters spent um, time in Southeast Asia as missionaries, and um, now I am teaching uh, at LBC. It's a great honor and privilege to do so. Um, so, last week Tony talked about our, our God, and even the song that we just sang, the idea that um, where, how does the connection get made between seeing God for who He is and telling others about Him? When we see in Scripture about glorifying, or we sing about glorifying His name, what does that mean? Now, some of you will recall <coughs> um, the last, one of the last times I spoke from Acts 16 about the Philippian jailer. We talked about a, a phone at a game that I like to play. Do you remember that? Uh, the game Plague. <coughs> and we have a picture of that screenshot. From There it is. The goal of this game is to spread disease and annihilate every single person on the face of the earth. <laughs> and the attempt was to redeem that game by saying that we want to infect everyone on the face of the earth with the gospel, right? And see the whole world. God says there's no one that, he desires that none should perish. Not one. That's, that's a desire that we should all have, that none should perish. But I'd like to talk to you about another game today. And this game is the game of risk. How many of you have played the game of risk before? Okay, so when you play Risk, you have a little bit of a different strategy than if you play Plague, although the goal, again, is to rule the world, is to conquer the world. But the strategy is different, because as you see on this next picture here, um, all you really need is to have one person on each country to claim that, or at least that part of the world, even if it's more than one country. doesn't matter whether you have five or one, or two, whether there's a soldier or a cannon, as long as you have at least one person, it's sort of like when the U.S. planted the flag on the moon and said, this is our territory. I always wondered, how do you claim a planet, or, or at least in this case, a satellite of, of the moon as, as your own? <clears throat> but in the game of risk, that's all you have to do is plant your flag, put someone on there, and, and defend your territory. I want to use that imagery a little bit today as we talk about um, God's desire for reaching His world that He created, because when you think about playing a game, okay, how many of you have been here before where you're playing a game for the first time and you're with others who have played the game before, and they're about to explain to you the rules of the game? <clears throat> now, some of you are these, are high, I, the type A's where you would just say, that's all right, I got it, let's just start playing the game. Then there are others like me who are, no, I want to hear every rule, and we will play by the rules. <laughs> no amens? Thank you. <laughs> because if you don't know the rules, how are you going to know when you win? And if you just kind of make up the rules as you go along, it's sort of like Calvin Ball, and just make up the rules as you go along. And that's, no, that's fun for the person making the rules, but not for anyone else. 
So it's important to know what the rules of the game are as well as the goal of the game or else you're just going to wander around and some people will have fun and the rest of them will get frustrated at, at best, angry at times, but you will not accomplish what the designer of the game intended for the game, the way for it to be played out. And I want you to keep that imagery in mind as we talk about what is God's desire, what is His passion, what is His plan, His promise, and all, what is involved when God put us here on this earth. And as we look at His earth, we need to hear from Him what is His desire. And so we're going to look at His passion for the world. Uh, spoiler alert, His passion is for Him to get glory. And we're going to look at the promise of how that will be true, sometimes in spite of ourselves, and then we're going to look more very specifically about his provision of how he's made it possible for us to win this game that he's called us to. Now, I hope none of you get a little offended by my use of the word game, because this certainly is not a game that we're talking about here. But it fits the imagery in terms of knowing who created the game, what rules are intended, and what the goal of the game is. is. And so, as we think about this, let's think about the game of that God has given us to play and, and what our role will be. In fact, next, next uh, week when Nick comes, he will give us a very specific, this is what God has called us as a, as a congregation to do. That will be the so what of this series. But even tonight, Nick mentioned the countdown that's taking place tonight. Uh, about four or five years ago, we did um, this at, on the campus of LBC. And some of you are like, what is it about? What's going on? And you're, you are as I would be, uncomfortable with the unknown. And so I am asking you, get excited and be trusting and just get out here tonight by 6 o'clock. You will not regret having come here. God will use it in our church body's life in terms of what God has for us. And I think this would be a nice activity, interactive activity um, for everyone. And we will explain the rules very carefully tonight so you will know exactly what your role is in the simulation that we're going to be doing tonight called The Countdown. So last week, Tony talked about God's character and um, mentioning the burning bush and how when fire, you know, the fire is attractive and, and you want to know what's going on. And the more God reveals himself, the more we end up telling people about this God that we're getting to know. And um, it, his purpose is to make himself known. The result of that is our telling people about him. The more we hear from God, the more we receive from God, the more we tell people about God. And that's sort of where we're headed here as we look at this whole, the idea of the passion of um, what God has on his heart. So let's just go ahead and get started. What is God's passion here? Simply put, God's passion is for his glory to be known throughout his creation. You want to know what the goal of the game is? There it is right there. God's desire, God's passion is for himself. Now, for anyone else to have himself as, or herself as our passion would, be seen, would seem self-centered, egotistic. And if I were to say, look, today we're going to change things up. Today I want you to worship me. We would have to make sure the doors are unroped because people would be splitting out of here as fast as possible. Why is it okay for God to have himself as his ultimate passion, because of who he is. He is God, and there's no one else that could possibly say, 
be passionate about me because I'm passionate about me. But God is God. He is, now fill in the blank, which attribute of God would be most precious to you today? God is holy. God is awesome. One of my pet peeves is the overuse of the word awesome. That hot dog that you ate last night was not awesome. <laughs> I was not there, and I can still guarantee you that hot dog was not awesome in the sense that only God is awesome. <clears throat> Psalm 29.2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Okay, I'm going to be going through a bunch of different verses. If you've got that uh, version app, you might want to pull that out. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers uh, are going to walk down and give you some, some Bibles, but I'm going to also warn you as you receive those Bibles. And if you don't have one, this is our gift to you. Um, but we're going to be flipping through a bunch of them. I have some of the verses on the screen, um, but some of them you may want to earmark uh, and come to later on. So again, Psalm 29.2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. We often wonder, what, is it, what do we mean when we say ascribe glory to God? What is his glory? What is that? To glorify his name, what does that mean? Well, another verse from Psalm, Psalms 96.3, declare his glory among the nations. Okay, what does that mean? And then he, the next phrase parallels that and gives us a little bit of a clue. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. In other words, if I, the more I see God work, the more I can tell people about who he is. And by doing that, I am glorifying his name. I see his glory, I tell others about his glory, and his glory spreads. Not in the sense that the glory itself spreads, but the knowledge of his glory is spreading. I, I've, I've talked about this with my students at times, and I want to get very, very ground-level specific. What does that mean to glorify God in your, in your life? So one of our uh, missionaries uh, in, that, are, that were getting ready to send out, um, Josiah Groff, um, soccer player extraordinaire. I remember talking with him and the others in class about, you can glorify God on the soccer field. I remember one particular student I had, not Josiah, who was, let's just say he got more than his fair share of yellow cards on the, on the soccer pitch. And I said, look, when you get knocked down, instead of getting up and getting the other person down, get up and see in your mind, God, how can I glorify you in how I respond? Because isn't it often true that we respond, we give opportunity, God gives us opportunities to glorify him, when, and what that usually means is something not, that's not good is about to happen. If you're going to pray for God to glorify him in your life, you better be prepared for something that gives you an opportunity. And I think I've shared this with some of you before. In my classroom, I don't give exams, I give opportunities. for students to demonstrate and remember what they've learned. <clears throat> but I try to set them up for success, not for failure. That's a philosophy of education or of assessment that I want them to succeed. But I also want them to feel confident about what they've learned and the idea of becoming, um, to improve in what they're, what they're studying. But again, this verse, Psalm 96.3, declare his glory, look at that next phrase, among the nations. That song, uh, that Psalm 67 that we read together, part of it anyway, and we will look at it again later on, 
You see people and you see peoples. That S on the end of peoples is not a mistake. And so you see here, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. What does the Bible mean when it talks about nations and peoples? I want to show you a couple of slides of a country. Let's look at a country in, in Africa, for example. Anyone recognize what country this is? Nigeria. It's Nigeria, yes. <laughs> Leave it to a missionary to know the country. The <laughs> <laughs> um, this is Nigeria, and, and you see there where it's located in Africa. Now, on this next slide, what you see is all the different nations within the country or within the nation, within the political nation, a geopolitical nation of Nigeria, you have many, many peoples. These are different language groups, ethnic groups, different cultures, if you will. And on the next slide, you see, according to the languages, and they're color-coded there where the green represents that they do have scriptures translated into each of those different language groups. Yellow, they have some, and they're in the red, those people groups have no scriptures in their language at all. So when you go into Nigeria and you, and you don't learn Nigerian, how to speak Nigerian, you learn one of these. Now, there may be one language that is used by all people at a uh, common level, just as when we were in China, uh, Mandarin is the, uh, the national standard language. But if I went to the marketplace in Shanghai where we lived, and if I spoke English to buy some bananas, for example, I would pay this price. If I spoke Mandarin, I'd pay this price. If I spoke the local dialect, I paid this price. And you would see their eyes light up. Wow, you speak our dialect. Now, here in Lancaster County, We can apply this just as well, can't we? We are all Americans here. But even as I look in just this room, there are some different ethnic groups represented, perhaps. Not as many as you would see in Nigeria. So on this next slide, look at this. This is a definition that we use in the, for evangelistic purposes. It is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church-planting movement Look at this last phrase. Without encountering, encountering barriers of understanding and acceptance. That's how in missions we talk about different people groups, peoples, nations. And so you see this in Scripture. We just looked at a couple of verses um, within um, the Psalms. And so when we see in Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds throughout all the earth, all, all the earth to all peoples, God's passion is for God's glory to be spread through all the world. Okay? Think about a dimmer switch on a light, on a light and it's just go. That's okay if there's already light. But what about the places where there is no light and you need the on and off switch just to turn on the light? And it, you turn on and it, the dimmer switch is already down low, but at least you have some light now. But how can we spread that light and now get every people group to a point where they can glorify God's name. We'll come back to this several times here. Let's talk about his promise. Is this actually possible? Not only is it possible, but it will happen. God sees this in the future. It's his desire 
that all would worship him. John Piper in his book, <clears throat> Let the Nations Be Glad, is famously quoted as saying, missions exist because worship doesn't. God's passion, again, is for him to be worshipped. And where there are no worshipers, God desires for some to worship him from every people group. Look at the promise of what's gonna, what we can expect in Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Look at this last part. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. This is not something that, well, if we do our work, then maybe this might happen. This will happen. This will happen. And we will be standing with many people from around the world, speaking from language and cultures. Have you ever been in a place where you've been in many different languages and they all pray, we all pray at the same time in different languages? It is initially somewhat confusing and then eventually a wonderful picture of what heaven might be like. Joe, I don't know if we're going to have hot dogs in heaven, but I can guarantee that we will all be praising God at the throne. Can you just picture in your mind how beautiful that's going to be? That will happen. That is a, something that we can rest assured will happen. The question now becomes, what role can we play in seeing that happen? But it, um, this is not something that God says in, in Matthew 28 or in Revelation. This has always been God's heart. Turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 12, if you will. We'll spend a couple of minutes here. Genesis chapter 12, very first book of the Bible. Genesis means beginnings. And so looking at the first four verses, some people in, I know at Lancaster Bible College, we talk about how within Genesis, we have the first 11 chapters, and then chapter 12 begins the next phase of what God is doing. And here you have Abram, soon to be called Abraham, and God speaks to Abram. Now let me read verses one through four. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household, I suppose we could have used the word oikos at that moment, although it's a Greek term, right? To the land I will show you, and look at all the wills, what God is going to do and what, he would, what Abram is to do. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I love those next three words. So Abram went. If God were to tell you to do something, you know, Carol and I are teaching a class right now called The Christian Home. Dating, marriage, parenting. You know, you can imagine on a college campus how there's much more interest in the first part, dating <coughs> and marriage, not yet quite on parenting, but we're right now we're going, talking about parenting. And uh, one of the things we talked about this past uh, class was a phrase that I heard uh, used with our kids, delayed obedience is disobedience. You start doing the whole one, 
two, two and a half. Imagine if God did that with us, if we tried to play that game with God. Okay, Abram, I'm going to send you to a place, and Abram says, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not yet ready to do what you've asked me to do. No, verse 4 says, so Abram went. There was no delay, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. That look, at the, look at the things. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. How old was he? How old was his wife? Late 90s? Okay, so you're telling me, God, that my offspring, my seed, and all the nations of the world, all the peoples of the world are going to be blessed through me, through my seed? Yeah, I don't see how this is, but you're God, so okay, let's go. That's part of how God's promise, and, and we, could, uh, can, we see that in each of the big three, I call them. So you got, remember last week when um, Moses was at the fire, and God says, I am who I am, and God identifies himself to Moses as the God of three people. Who are they? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. With each one of them, listen to what, what God said to them. Abraham, Genesis 22, verses 15 to 18. The angel of the Lord called, by, called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, verse 18, and through your offspring... All nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And then to his son Isaac in Genesis 26, verse 4. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Then jo Jacob, Israel, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Are you seeing a pattern here? God's desire is that his name be glorified to all peoples around, throughout the earth. This will happen. And God has already predetermined how he was going to do it. It's going to be through the seed of Abraham, and he, we get to have the opportunity to be a part of that. You recall referring to Abraham when he sacrificed his, he was called to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And that's another story, but briefly, Abram took, him, Abram took his son to the mountain, put him on the altar that was, I mean, the, about to sacrifice him, had the knife up, and the angel said, stop, 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 stop. Now God, God says to him, now I know that you truly believe me. Your faith is a genuine faith. Recently, in, uh, we were going through the book of, of James and a couple of different ABFs, and at the end of chapter 2, James uses Abraham as an example of faith. Show me your faith. Tell me your faith. Okay, but show me your faith. And he uses Abraham as an example. And it's sort of the demonstration of our faith tells people around us what kind of faith we have. One one commentator said, You're, if you have a workless faith, it's a worthless faith. 
that if you really have true faith in God and what He's able to do, when He says to do something, you'll do it. And Abraham modeled that to us by being willing to sacrifice his son, his only son. And then afterwards, Isaac said, Father, where, or he said, where, where is the sacrifice? Where is the ram? And do you remember what Abraham said? God will provide. And John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. But as we move into this third part here, we've looked at God's passion for himself to be glorified. The promise is this will happen. But how did he provide for that to happen? Because 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he who called us, and he will do it. If God calls us to do something, he is also obligated to provide for us to be able to do that. And so if he says that his, the seed of Abraham is going to bless every people group in the world, how did he make that possible? So the promise, we, we start by looking at Romans 4, verses 16 to 18. So I, I'd encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 4. Now we're in the New Testament, a little bit before halfway in the New Testament. <clears throat> Short answer, through his son, Jesus Christ. How do we connect Abraham with Jesus Christ? Well, Paul, as he writes to the Romans in chapter 4, and I'll read verses 16 to 18. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Now, some of you may not know that by birth, I'm Jewish. My mom comes from a Jewish family, and as such, I'm Jewish. Um, there are times when I think, that's really cool. But because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I am a child of Abraham. A, the, the faith that I exhibited, that I have in Jesus Christ, puts me underneath Abraham in a more precious way, may I say? And you in this room that share that faith in Jesus Christ, share that heritage, you also are a child of Abraham because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. And thereby, we begin to see this promise starting to be fulfilled. Even Lancaster County people are blessed through the seed of Abraham through Jesus Christ. That would be the time for the amen. amen. Even you, even we here in Lancaster County are blessed through the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, and what he did for us. Paul says this again in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Quote, all nations will be blessed through you. <clears throat> so those who rely on faith are blessed among, along with Abraham, the man of faith. How would you like to have that on your tombstone? Here lies a man of faith, a woman of faith. Do you see how Abraham's glorifying the name of God by the way he lived, 
but also the words that were spoken. It's interesting, uh, if you turn to Psalm 67, we looked at this um, earlier, we read it, but go ahead and turn to Psalm 67. I want to look at this one. This is perhaps the most missionary psalm of all the psalms. <clears throat> we look around us today, and we are blessed to have a wonderful facility like this. We're also blessed to have a facility that is growing increasingly too small for our needs as we continue with our creating space, expecting harvest here, because we are trusting God to continue to, for us to be a blessing to those around us. As we are blessed, what do we do with that blessing? Well, Psalm 67 gives us an idea of the relationship between being blessed and blessing others. Let me read Psalm 67, all seven verses. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Okay, stop for a second. What is the purpose of God's blessing us? It certainly is not just for the purpose of blessing us. It is so that his name will be glorified his salvation may be known among all the peoples, all the nations. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. Verse 3, may the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. <clears throat> may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. Verse 7, may God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Think about the most recent blessing that you can think of. Maybe it was just yesterday, even just the beautiful weather yesterday. Something that God's blessed you with recently. One of your first questions should be, okay, God, how do you want me to use this blessing for your glory, for your purposes? God blesses you with a nice home or a nice car, or you fill in the blank. Your first word should be, thank you, Lord. The second question immediately following is, how can I use this for your glory? How can I use this for your glory? Because God doesn't bless us just for the sake of, now, he loves us. He wants, as a father, I want to bless my children. But I also want to bless them so that they can be a blessing to others. <clears throat> I think one of the best examples, I talked about James chapter 2, and he gives actually two different examples of people who glorify God in their lives. The first person was Abraham. Do you remember who the second person is? Who does he use to exemplify faith at the end of chapter 2 of James? Anyone remember? It's Abraham. Abraham. And Rahab, a prostitute. Just in case anyone out there thinks, oh, that's only for godly people. Let me tell you about a prostitute who glorified God's name, who God used. And um, so in jo in, what was the situation? In Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 1, uh, at the beginning of chapter 1, God says to, to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, you, Joshua. And he recasts the vision for the nation of Israel. Last week when Tony talked about um, the nation of Israel being chosen, we need to remind ourselves that Israel was not chosen because of who Israel was. Israel was chosen to show others who God is. 
The way that Israel responded to God gave God an opportunity to show who God is and how God blessed them and chastised them and treated them, all these different things were only for the purpose of showing others, others, other peoples what a person chosen by God could expect. In chapter 2 of Joshua, um, Rahab is in, uh, meets the spies who are coming to check out the land. They know that God's called them into this land, and they send some spies and come, come across Rahab's place of living. It says, before the, and Rahab it says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the, on the roof and said to them, this is Rahab the prostitute now speaking, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did on Sihon and Gog, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Verse 11, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and above, heaven above and on earth below. That phrase, when we heard. When I talked about Acts 16, the Philippian jailer, remember Paul and Silas were in that dark inner chamber chained, and what were they doing? They were singing. And there was an earthquake, and their chains fell off, and the doors opened, and the Philippian jailer was about to kill himself, and they said, stop, stop, stop. And the question that came out of his mouth was, what must I do to be saved? It was not, how in the world did you do that? What must I do to be saved was the response to what he had seen and heard in these men. Rahab's response to what and the people of Jericho, their response to hearing what God had done was fear and awe of this God, of this people that he had chosen. Which begs the question, when people look at our lives, how do we reflect what God is doing in our lives to those around us? Their hearts melted with fear because of what they heard. It also says to us, well, how in the world did they hear Somebody told them, did you hear what those Israelites, what, what happened? That story traveled quickly. And when it got to Jericho, their hearts melted with fear. This, this, um, our response is to know God. The more we know God, the more we will make him known. There's a simple formula here. God's works plus our words equals God getting glorified. God's name being glorified. He's already doing the works. The question is, are we sharing that with others around us? And turning on another flashlight or flipping on another switch. You know, are we telling those around us what God is doing and giving him the glory for what, we, for what uh, he's doing in our lives? Our response to knowing God is to make him known. This is what brings him glory to all nations. That phrase, to all nations, though, this presents us with a clash of values. I have been repeatedly adding the S, a prolonged S, to peoples and nations. We think back to the game of risk versus playing plague. There are two different goals here because in plague, the idea is to impact, infect, kill, annihilate every single individual on the world. 
The goal of risk, however, is a slightly different. It is to have to conquer each nation or part of the world as represented in the risk map. I only have to have someone on there. And I want to try to drill this home a little bit here to try to explain that sometimes we play a game by our own rules and we think we're winning when in fact we didn't really pay attention to the rules of the game. And we, we may have to change our strategy. Uh, Matt and Grace and Anna recently went on a uh, road trip. I mean, how many of us graduating from high school or college say, let's do a road trip around the country, and yet how few of us actually do it? They actually did it. But when you do a road trip, what's the purpose of the road trip? Is it to get to here to there as quickly as possible, or to enjoy the sights along the way, or both? You see, when you start planning your road trip, you decide what is the purpose of this trip? because that's going to impact how long it's going to take and what, what, what you're going to do on the trip. And I think sometimes when it comes to missions, we sometimes don't understand God's heart, His passion for all peoples. And so on this uh, next slide here, I wanted to show you a picture of, of some ships. This comes from a, um, an analogy that was drawn from initially John Piper and then taken up by Todd Arendt. And here's, here's the situation. I want you to try to picture this. Imagine that you are in charge of the Coast Guard or a rescue operation, and you've got five different ships. Each one is five miles further out from the first. So let's say the first boat, first ship is five miles out. Second boat, 10 miles. Third boat, 15. Fourth boat, 20 miles. Fifth boat is 25 miles away from the coast. And you have to decide what you're going. You have limited resources and definitely limited time because those ships are sinking and people are dying if they don't get rescued. In our typical strategy for saving people, our value of, I want to save as many people as possible, kicks in. When you have the value of saving as many people as possible, you will concentrate your efforts on boat one and then boat two. And you will be able to save a whole lot more people on boat one and two because they're easier to get to. But by the time you save maybe even all the people on boat one or most people on boat two, there's a bunch of people start on boat three that are already drowning. And if you're in boat four or five, I'm sorry, you have basically no chance of being rescued. But what if I said that the value is not the number of people, but I want as many people from each boat or ship, save. Will that not change my strategy and how I allocate the rescue teams that are going out there? I mean, yes, I'm still going to get some people from boat one, but if I've got some people who are gifted in speed of boat, whatever that might mean, I'm going to send those people out to the fifth ship, and uh, this um, out to the fourth, and out to the third, and out to the second, and, and to the first. So that, because now, knowing the goal of having people from every ship rescued, supersedes the value of the greatest number being saved. That's very difficult for us because the people right around us are easier to get to. And if I can you know, think about the Easter egg hunt, just scooping up as many eggs as possible. Okay, but what if I said the goal of the Easter egg hunt was to get one from every section of the wherever you are? You see what's going on here? God's value is, yes, for every person to be saved. He desires that none should perish. 
but he also has the value of having people at the throne from every tongue, tribe, nation, people group. And that needs to impact how we seek to reach the world. That needs to have an impact. So again, his passion is for his name to be glorified. His promise is it will happen. His provision is I gave you my son, and I've given you are the seed of Abraham. I have provided for this to happen. I've given you the resources to make it happen as well. As a nation, the United States has perhaps more resources for sending missionaries than anyone else. But we have to think about what is our strategy? How are we making the best use of the resources that we have? And if you want to hear more about that, you'll come back next week and hear what Nick's going to talk about. Because he's going to get very practical about that. Again, let's look at Revelation 7, 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms is Psalm 46.10. How many of you know Psalm 46.10? What, what does Psalm 46.10 say? Be still and know that I am God. Did you know that that's only the first part of that verse? Psalm 46.10 says, he said, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Here it is again. The more we know God, the more we will seek to make him known. Be still first, yes. Know who I am. That is not the end goal, though. As you get to know God more, you will tell others about him, and their, their hearts will melt in fear or respond in, in some other appropriate manner to hearing about who God is. The more we know who God is, and we have to be still in order to make that true in our lives. Some of us don't take enough time to be still and hear from God and look at the things that he's doing in our lives to become more aware of who he is. And because we don't do that, we don't take the efforts to make him known. My first major in college was computer science. Basic programming language. If X, then Y. If, if this, then do this. If the, if the number is this, then go to this. And if, these, uh, go, if um, X, then go to Y. And the same thing I'm saying here. Um, if you know God, you will make him known. If you settle for where you are right now, and yeah, God is a really nice guy. I really appreciate what he's done for me. That's where to land, probably. But if you pray, God, help me to know you. I'm going to stay here until you show me something new about you that I need to hear from you. Do you not think that you will get an answer to that prayer? Because in Hebrews he says he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek after him. And when he does answer that prayer, do you not think that you will go to someone and tell that person, tell others, hey, let me tell you what God did to me, what God showed me from his word. As we receive, so we give to others. But he doesn't want us to just keep it local. He wants us to prioritize what he prioritizes. So the three, three questions to ask ourselves as we get ready to, to sing our closing song of Hope of the Nations. The first question is, how well do you know this missionary God? God did not become a missionary God when Jesus came, when he gave us the Great Commission and all that. He has always been 
and missionary God. His heart for the world has always been his heart. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Secondly, how much is God's passion for his glory to be made known? Your passion. And third, how can you grow in having God's heart part of your heart? These are the questions I would love for you to, to ask yourself as you, as you contemplate God's passion is for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are who you are. You have loved us with an everlasting love. And you have made that abundantly clear through the sending of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we, through faith in Jesus, are indeed part of the answer to the promise that you made to Abraham, that we are his children through the seed, his seed of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to increasingly have your heart for the world, that we would see you in all of your glory, and that you would help us to make that glory known to those around the world, to every people, to all peoples. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it nice to know that we didn't have to provide salvation for the world? That was paid, that was provided for by God. We think about the game that he's called us to play. It's nice to know that he is the creator of the game. He's the goal of the game. He's the rule maker of the game. He provided what we need to win the game. And he is the ultimate winner of the game. Again, Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. To those of you who know him, rejoice. But remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. May God help you as you go through this coming week to see his blessings in your life and to recognize his purpose for those blessings. You're dismissed.